It is awesome to be with you, and we have been in the book of Jonah. Jonah, a prophet, four chapters, and you might have all kinds of different feelings about Jonah. You saw Hannah in that video, and the fish, and Jonah in there. Uh, Jonah's an interesting book, and you find out a lot about what was going on in chapters 1, 2, and 3 by reading chapter 4, but we're just kind of going bit by bit as we do this. And so with that in mind, I want us to get into chapter 2. I'll read it in a moment, but let's just take a second and think about the summer. In some way, shape, or form, summer is kind of coming to an end. Now, I'm not even really sure what that means because I can't tell if summer actually started. Uh, It just kind of, if you're with us, we were taking a trip to San Marcos during spring break. As we were driving there, everything started to shut down. We were driving there with tickets or with a plan to go see a college baseball game. My kids like baseball, go outside, cheap tickets, hot dogs, whatever. As we're on our way, all the conferences start to shut down the rest of their baseball season. So that turned into a car ride that was, this is one of the most miserable trips we're ever going to go on. I cannot believe this is happening. Why did they cancel baseball? I hate coronavirus. I hate this. We should just go turn around, go home. It would have been fine. And now it's August. And everything in between has, I think we're still on spring break. But school in some way, shape, or form, like we just said, is going to be starting again. And it can't even really tell seasonally because it's just always hot. But we know August to September gives us some type of transition in life. But I was curious for a moment, and you don't have to answer here in the room or there at home. You can. I won't be able to hear you. But one of your most favorite summertime movies, maybe you could even type that in the comments wherever you are. Like, what are one of your most favorite summertime movies? What do you got? I won't be reading them. So whatever you type in will be fine. But summertime movies, some of you might be embarrassed to put your favorite summertime movies, so you're going to kind of be putting like number two, three, or four, because like, well, I don't want people to know I like that movie. But whatever it is, uh, we all kind of have these movies that remind us of summer. Well, here's one that is mine, The Sandlot. The Sandlot. It's a great movie. My kids had never seen it, but because spring break lasted five months, we finally ended up seeing it sometime, uh, I don't know when, I don't, even, I don't know if I was awake or asleep, but it got seen, sawed, it happened during this spring, summer, fall, whatever season that we were in. And if you remember, the story revolves around a pickle, not the pickle you eat, but the pickle as in a terrible situation that you get yourself into. And this is actually how the movie begins, if you haven't uh, seen it or you don't recall. It's talking about the uh, Babe Ruth and what his home run Babe Ruth hit, and then he transitions to 30 years later, a kid named Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez became a, a neighborhood legend. It was in the greatest summer of my life when he taught me to play baseball and he became my best friend and he got me out of the biggest pickle I'd ever been in. The pickle. The time where you get stuck in a terrible situation. We have all been in them, these kids, if you remember the movie, spent a lot of time trying to retrieve a baseball from over a fence 
with a gigantic dog on the other side. And the movie is really a bunch of their experiences and trying to do that. You go, well, we're in Jonah, Hans. What in the world does baseball have to do for that? Well, an autographed baseball over a fence certainly is one thing. And it makes for an entertaining movie. But perhaps an audit that showed you lied on your taxes and your house is getting repossessed, well, that's a completely different situation. Still a pickle, still a situation that you got yourself into, but you will not be able to get yourself out. You need others to get you out of that. Everyone has gotten into a situation that has no hope for restoration. We're all born in sin, for one, and we need redemption. I said before, one of my professors had put it this way, you're not as bad as you can be, but you're as bad off as you can be. You could always be worse, but you can't be worse off. We need redemption. You could do worse, you couldn't be worse. Jesus is there for us in those moments where we realize that need. It becomes apparent that we have it. Still, as we walk with him and as we live our lives, we find that we get into situations that are brought on by our own doing. And we need a way out. We can't do it by ourselves. This morning, we're going to look at that question. How do we respond when things are hopeless? When we know it's our fault, that's a big problem that sometimes we get into is when we go, well, it's their fault. Or if only they fixed this, or if only they did that. I'm talking about those moments, and you've all had them, where you know you're the one that got you into the situation that you're in, and you also know you have no chance of getting yourself out. Jonah is a good example here. He gets himself into trouble, a pickle. But he cannot get out without the Lord. Now, as we get into the question of how we respond when things are hopeless, how do we respond when things have hit rock bottom, we're going to look at how Jonah prays. And and it's not like he necessarily just had this psalm kind of ready to go. But Jonah's prayer, how did he articulate what was going on here? How did he communicate to God what was going on in his heart? How did he say these things? What did he do? What did he recognize? What did he realize? Where did he rejoice? But first, I want to read the whole passage. And again, we ended last week at chapter 1, verse 16. We're going to end... This week, we're going to start in verse 17 and go through chapter 2, verse 10. So all of chapter 2. Because this story begins with a fish and it ends with a fish. So this is what we have in Jonah 1, starting in verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All the waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again 
upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. That'd be seaweed as he's sinking down into the ocean, into the water. The roots, the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. I will vow, I have vowed, what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Jonah is at rock bottom. Or even as his imagery says, he's at the sea's bottom. This entire passage is a prayer. Some would say it's a prayer of thanksgiving. And it's poetry, a poetic retelling of the events that Jonah had experienced and how the Lord preserved him. Remember that question, how do we handle being at rock bottom? What do we seek? How do we find restoration? What is going on in that situation? Well, you have to remember, for one, Jonah, where we left him, was thrown overboard and the sea had stopped from its raging. But Jonah was sinking. But then verse 17 shows up. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. You'll see this in chapter 1 here, at the end of chapter 2, when the fish vomits him out. You'll see it in chapter 4 in regards to a plant. But animals of the sea and plants of the land listen and respond to God's direction, but God's prophet does not. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and the fish did it. And the fish did it. Jonah has not one time sought obedience. The Lord commanded Jonah, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for her evil has come up before me. And Jonah fled. The Lord says to a fish, Swallow Jonah. The fish goes, as you wish, quote the princess bride. Whatever you need. So throughout the book, you're going to see Jonah, even in his little steps of obedience, like in chapter 3, his begrudging preaching to the Ninevites, that everyone but Jonah uh, responds to the Lord with their hearts, it seems. The Lord appoints a fish, and then Jonah prays with what's going on. Now remember, this idea of rock bottom, how do we get back from that? Because you might be there right now. Poetry doesn't move linearly. It doesn't kind of go, this is how we do it, one, two, three. As nice as that would be for a preacher. 
And so when I kind of talk about in verses 1 through 4 and this, I, I, it, it's just kind of our brackets to kind of move us through the passage. <clears throat> but there are going to be a couple of things that are happening in Jonah that then happen too with us when we get into these situations. I want to start with this first idea, which is this. Recognize, recognize your situation. In Jonah's prayer, he recognizes what was going on. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't hide from it. He sees it and he speaks about it. Jonah prayed to the Lord from the belly of the fish. He said, I called out to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. That's almost like a summary of all that's about to happen. Called out to the Lord and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, this place where the dead are. And you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep because of his disobedience. Into the heart of the seas, the flood surrounded me. Your waves and billows crashed over me. So right, Jonah gets thrown in and everything is crashing. It's like um, the end of the Truman Show, right? Like everything is going on and you're there. For those of you who are like, that was like a two-year point of time in history where you know what I'm talking about. Uh, The end of the Truman Show and everything is just kind of up against him. He's thrown into this and he's like, everything is terrible, And he recognized not only his perilous situation being in the sea, but he recognized the fear or the danger of his relationship with the Lord, that what had actually gone on, I am driven away from your sight. My disobedience has strained my relationship. Everything around me is falling apart, the seas crashing over me, and I'm driven away from your sight. Not because the Lord had left. Clearly, as we saw last week, the Lord was evident in chapter 1. The Lord was moving even as Jonah disobeyed, but he recognizes that his disobedience has certainly brought about a situation that he would not want. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. He still has, even in how he talks about his situation, the promise of what might be. But listen to the words. I cried out to the Lord out of my distress. Out of the belly of Sheol, the center of death, I am stuck. You cast me into the deep. The flood surrounded me. I'm driven away from your sight. You see what Jonah's doing? He's talking about what's going on. While he had the expectation in verse 4 that he would see the Lord, he was clearly distressed. He was surrounded. He had nowhere to go. He had no way out. He was cast overboard. He does believe that God hears his voice and that he will get to that as it continues and that he will see the Lord again. But as it currently stands, he has nowhere to go and no way to fix the situation. He is literally drowning. He can't get out. Now right now, you might not literally be drowning. But you certainly do feel choked out by your situation, your life, your sin. Perhaps 
perhaps, and this might show up most clearly in areas of addiction, where people have begun recovery, they feel this idea of, I'm just stuck here. A situation where your own sinfulness has choked you out and you have no way or you don't even know how you're going to find redemption from where you got. Looking at your situation and actually staring at the consequences of your sin is ugly. Realizing what you got yourself into can certainly cause distress, but it's important to see. Have you ever been in an intervention? Ever done something like that where you, for whatever reason it might be, family or friends, loved ones surround somebody with a goal of showing them what's going on? And if you haven't been in these, very often people in the family or people around the circle will begin to talk about what that person's behavior has done to them. And the person who's on the receiving side of this is told, no, you just need to listen to these. You need to listen to what your addiction did here, what your behavior did here. You need to realize how it affected this person and this person and this person and this person and this person. You need to realize that they're all still here. And as that stacks upon itself and you get the realization at some degree of what your behavior has done, you feel stuck. It's ugly to look at your sin. Now a hard heart will just go, whatever, I don't want this. Don't need this, you guys don't know what you're talking about. But a heart like Jonah sees it. Jonah, even in his frustration with Nineveh and his dislike from Nineveh and his recognition of what God will do in chapter 4 when he talks about it and he prays again, but he prays angry at God. Jonah still, though, recognizes where salvation is from. It's a reminder for us that even solid theology like Jonah would have doesn't always result itself in solid action that comes after it, but that God still is gracious because he's God. It's not as if we kind of behavior in such a way, live in such a way, fill out our life in such a way that God's like, oh, okay, well now, you know, now I will respond to you. So Jonah recognizes his situation There's something about his heart that is tender because he is caught up over himself. He cannot get out. And for all who have placed their faith in Jesus, every single person listening who has trusted in Jesus, they have had some sort of recognition, even if it's a small percentage of reality, but some sort of recognition of their own sinfulness. Where you go, I have done this. I've done this. And Christ was crucified because of it. That time you stole, the words you said, the damage you caused when you walked out in your marriage, the way you yelled at and punched your little brother, the time you cheated on a test, 
These individual acts are sin, yes, but they point to a bigger problem that is going on in your heart and you cannot fix it. Only the Lord can. You can try and repair, but you cannot fix it. So when we take a moment to recognize our situation, we see that we need help. And that's when Jonah turns in verse 4 to, yet I will look again to your holy temple. He knows that looking to God is the only way to get out. And God is not distant. God is near and he hears. So that's that third, second idea. Remember that God hears you. Jonah recognizes the situation, but he remembers that God hears you. Now I want to speak about this with a little bit of nuance. <clears throat> because I want to speak about hearing from the perspective of the brokenhearted or the repentant person. Because Jonah is a prophet of God and part of the nation of Israel who are God's people. While God is all-knowing and thus, in that sense, all-hearing, he's not unaware of any person's heart. There are times when prayers aren't heard like we might be saying. Peter says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you to the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's in the New Testament. The prophet Amos talks about it like this, the Lord's words to the nation. I hate, I despise your feasts, I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fat animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs and the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So there are times that God does not hear. So when I say remember that God hears you, think about the perspective of Jonah. There's hopelessness. There's a need for redemption. There's a recognition that he got himself into a specific situation and he turns. And in that instance, God hears. You can hear it in verse 5. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Have you ever been underwater and how dark it can be if you're not in a pool? The roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed up over me, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you. He says that at the beginning of the chapter as well, and you heard me. But do you see the hopelessness? Jonah is sinking far, far down to the ocean floor. He can't catch a breath. He can't swim. He's trapped. But then in verse 6, he speaks of what God has done for him. He brought me out. You brought me out of the pit. In verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. The recognition of our situation is what moves us to the heart position that cries out, help! 
Help! And sometimes that's all we can articulate. Help me. But in those situations where we are crushed and when we are struck and when we know we got ourselves into this pickle, God hears. And God doesn't hear because of the merits of our brokenness. God doesn't hear because we're so serious about it. It's how we operate with one another. Well, how bad do you feel? On a scale of one to ten, are you like a seven bad? An eight? A six? Only four? Well, then we're going to have to make you feel real bad before we have interaction with you again. The Lord does not operate based upon how serious our brokenness is, though we are broken. The Lord hears us because He is faithful. And because he saves. Because that is in his nature to do. That is what he has always done. He is always plucking us out of these situations time and time again because he loves us. Because he cares about us. He sent his son into this world to die for us because he loves us. This is in his character. And when you see that, and you know that, and you've realized that, then it does something to you. And that's what you see at the end. There's been a recognition of a situation, there's a reminder that God hears, and then this, a rejoice. He rejoices in God's salvation. What do we do? We rejoice in God's salvation when we are at rock bottom. Look at these last verses. He first starts with those who don't know the Lord. He might have these sailors in mind, I don't know, but he certainly has the lost in mind. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope in steadfast love. He's going to go to a pagan nation in Nineveh. He knows that they are not following the Lord, and so he has this statement, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope in steadfast love, that if you are lost, you cannot find the Lord in and of yourself. You're going to keep living that way. But then listen in verse 9, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And in verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Verse 9 shows those who do not know the Lord. Jonah could be referring to the sailors from chapter 1, perhaps, but again, those sailors were also seen as trying to seek God. Jonah was not. I think that Jonah is saying here is that those who don't worship the true God not receive this gracious, saving love that God gives. They don't have the story completed. They don't understand his character. So then he turns and he says, I will sacrifice to you. Salvation belongs to the Lord. But notice where the declaration comes. It comes in verse 9. When is Jonah spit back onto dry land? In verse 10. And then the Lord commanded the fish. The fish obeys again. 
So Jonah declared God's praises and spoke of his salvation before he had fully realized what God was going to do. Just follow that. That's a hard thing. It's very common for us to focus on getting out of our circumstances and then once we are out, saying, isn't God good? It's a totally different thing to be in the midst of rock bottom, feeling helpless, declaring God's praises, and saying, even in that, that he is good while you're still in it. And yet that's what he does. He doesn't wait. There's not, there's not a Jonah 2.11 and then Jonah praised God that he was taken care of. He praises God in verse 9. He is out of the water, out of the fish in verse 10. Because that's how God works. God changes us in a circumstance. That you could be in the middle of a life sentence. Come to the Lord. Be changed. Totally, eternally changed. And your external circumstance might not change. You can be in the middle of the worst situation that you could possibly imagine. Pray to the Lord, seek his help, be transformed by Jesus, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, totally and truly his, and still be in that situation. Because God does not need a situation to change in order to be able to change a heart. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need, even though we use it, this microphone. He doesn't need the camera. He doesn't need those of us who are here. He doesn't need those things for everything to change. He can change like that. Right in the worst of life. And that still might mean, because it's not like a get-out-of-jail-free card where you get, all your circumstances get better. Oh, all I do is come to the Lord and everything's better now? I don't have to respond to all those sins. I don't have to deal with those consequences. No, we actually still do, and we do it with our head held high because we know that the worst thing that came from our sins, our eternal punishment, has been forgiven. And so whatever happens in the meantime, okay. Okay. I'll take that because the worst has been changed. So perhaps... In all this passage, what comes across to me as most staggering and most beautiful is this, is that God is waiting at rock bottom. He was already there. He didn't have to get there. It wasn't as if Jonah had to put out an SOS and then God was like, hold on, let me get in the boat. Let me get over to you. Let me swim down. Can you just hold your breath a little longer? No, he was already there. 
He was already working. He was already active, even in the midst. Now remember, we are off somewhere in the Mediterranean. We are there away from the call to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is in the opposite direction. So he's still in the midst of the consequences of his disobedience. He's still down and he was sinking and the fish grabs him and the fish spits him out. That God was there the whole time. I think this is something that we erroneously think that once I screw up enough, God has gone, I'm out. I'm done with you. I'm done with your family. I'm done with your job. I'm done with it all. Clean up your life, fix some stuff, and then come knocking on my door and we'll talk then. We have some type of ridiculous way that we ascribe to God the way a lot of our human interactions work. But God doesn't work like we would expect. He is gracious and he is present and he is powerful and he is saving. Jonah thought he was hopeless and wasn't sure what was to come, but who heard him? God. Jonah had disobeyed. He ran, he fled, and he knew it. He was entangled in seaweed, but who was there? God. When there was nowhere else to go, there was no one else who could deliver, who saved? God. God is waiting at rock bottom. Even when you get yourself into a situation that is terrible, and you did. God is there. Even if you don't fully understand the wickedness of your own heart, and you don't, God cares. Even if you mess up in the future, and you will, God saves. Today, all these years after Jonah we see even more fully that salvation belongs to the Lord. And we see it more fully because we have the revelation of Jesus, the Son of God who came into this world to save sinners like you and me. That we can declare what he has done. We see his praises. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament, the fullness of revelation for us. We can see it. Hebrews chapter one, God is no longer speaking through his prophets. He has now spoken through his Son. we can see the picture even more clearly than Jonah could. We can recognize things about God's character that he was still revealing at that time. But then when the fullness of time came, God sent his son. And we see the son. And through faith in him, we are always and forever restored. And we need to remember, regardless of our station. If you're a believer here this morning and you're going, I feel like I shouldn't have done what I did. I shouldn't have sinned like this. I shouldn't have behaved like that. I shouldn't have thought like that. And I'm having to deal with those consequences. And I wish I wouldn't. Even then, right? What do you, what do you know? Where's the best place to go but to the Lord? But to the person in this room who has never trusted the Lord. Never has tried to live by their own strength like the sailors. They were just trying to row to shore as fast as they could in the midst of this storm and it wasn't going to work out because they didn't realize the real reason it existed in the first place. If you have always tried to deal with your sin 
and the ugliness of your heart that you think no one else knows about. The Lord knows. And the Lord saves. Trust in Him. Because He's always there and He's always waiting and He's always gracious. Even if you feel stuck, don't worry about how you'll get out. Look to the Lord. And let Him step by step by step show you what's next. But let Him fully and totally save you now regardless of what's next because he's waiting at rock bottom.